Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Last week saw another successful Lincolnshire Farming Conference, the first for three years. We've some words of wisdom from the speakers on the programme today. Yeah, I think the most uncomfortable truth is that you did the damage yourself. We actually would be much better off growing a, a hugely diverse range of foods. We've had countless revolutions in farming over the last 300 years, and this is no different. And are you taking a tractor into a Lincolnshire playground next week? Well, it can be all sorts of things. I mean, it's in conjunction with the teacher at the school. They may be using farming as part of their curriculum or they may be just wanting to offer the children an experience. We'll hear about tractors into schools, plus agronomy, the markets and prices and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope it's been a good week for you. It was for Nottinghamshire young farmer Jessica Rose who won the Heart of Young Farmers Award at the National Federation's annual awards the other day for her dedication to developing young people involved in young farmers clubs. Congratulations, Jessica. In a few days' time, it'll be a year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine and it still goes on. The agricultural community has a fine reputation of stepping up when help is needed. Maybe we can again. Do you have a pickup or a 4x4 vehicle sitting unused in the yard? If so, I'm sure Pickups for Peace would love to hear from you. Vince Collingham is chair of Agri-Epicentre and with Scottish farmer Mark Laird, they've set up this campaign and Vince joins us this morning. Vince, what help are you looking for from Lincolnshire farmers? So that's a great question. So first and foremost, is if you can donate a second-hand used pickup truck in good order with an MOT, that's ideal. Perhaps they've depreciated them through the business over the last 10 years. They do have an intrinsic value, but people want to do something for Ukraine and they're quite happy to let the charity take them. That's option number one. Option number two is if you can't bring yourself to go that far, but you'd be willing to sell them a discount to the charity. We are fundraising and we have raised funds already where we could buy them, but we're asking for people to give a discount for the trucks. And thirdly, and this is really important, is is willing drivers. And often those drivers coming forward get little consortium of farmers together in their local area who all chip in some money, buy a truck for that particular farmer, then that truck gets sent with that driver. We organise the logistics to get you there. We organise the flight to get you home. If you want to drive it and actually deliver it to the 24th in Lviv, uh, Lviv is in, in the very west of Ukraine, which which is about the safest place you can be. I mean, this is on everyone's own sort of responsibility to do this um, and you can drop it at the Polish-Ukraine border, we would take you around the Viv, meet the authorities there, meet the, um, the the brigade that would paint the trucks. And There are a number of options, but volunteers as well, it's really important. You know, What kind of condition, what kind of size of truck? Is there any particular trucks you either do need or definitely don't want? The key thing is that they're reliable. We don't want to send those broken stuff to Ukraine at the moment because clearly lives are at risk. If they've got decent off-road tyres, you know, with reasonable tread on them, that's that's important. To give you an idea, I mean, most of the cars that are coming on board are between 8 and 15 years old. Most of them have got more than 100,000 miles on the clock. The condition, it can have rust on it, that doesn't matter, it will be painted. It's more the mechanical reliability that's really important to us. If you want to drive it there, all well and good. If you can't, if somebody says, yeah, you can have my pickup truck, but I can't actually either spare the time or I've not got the ability to drive it there, are there alternatives? Exactly. So the charity would come and uh, take the car, someone else would drive it for them, uh, and then they could sawn it once the car had, had reached Ukraine. Um, so, so we can organise all that uh, for them. 
All right, Vince, that's great. So come on, Lincolnshire, let's see what we can do. Where do we go, Vince, for more information about this? The best place is, is actually on social media. So it's pickups. Uh, so pickups is pickup with a hyphen in between picking ups, pickups for peace. Um, and you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook. And there's also a telephone number, which is 07917-017-818. Vince, I wish you all the best. I hope Lincolnshire rises to the challenge, as we pretty much usually do, and you get lots of pickups and support for the Ukraine. Vince Gilliam, thank you for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning, and good luck with the campaign. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks to all the farmers that get in touch and support. Really appreciate it. It was great to be back at the showground for the return after three years of the Lincolnshire Farming Conference the other day. A huge attendance was treated to some wise words from several speakers, mostly local, some of which I'd like to share with you now. After setting the theme of the day, Healthy Soil and Healthy Minds, Chair Kelly Hewson Fisher introduced Lincolnshire farmer and owner of Horizon Agricultural Machinery, George Sly who surprised us by quoting a projection that the UK population is expected to start falling next year and that despite what's often said, we're not underproducing food, just producing the wrong food. Well, we grow an awful lot of of the same thing, which the human gut doesn't need, or uh, lots of the same thing. And so we we actually would be much better off growing a, a hugely diverse range of foods in an annual mix instead of regular arable monoculture. So for me as a farmer to produce more annual grains type barley, oats, wheat, beans and all these stuff, very little of that product ends up in the human gut. And so actually I was looking at the farm as it was really inefficient at providing human consumable food per acre and that's where if you start to break that down you realise that the debate of growing more tonnes of cereals per hectare to feed the growing population well one thing is we don't need to grow more of what we already have too much of and the second thing is that the population's about to start declining so the debate is is defunct. I hope what I've brought today um, opens people's eyes as to looking in new areas for their farms and new areas that they could probably look to be less tunnel visioned and controlled by the whole input supply chain of agriculture into a monocrop cereal which really the profitability of the farmer is not in his own hands in that way and you're very big on technology of course at horizon yes we are yeah i actually you know when someone asked me do you want to see all robots on farms and no humans and, and that definitely doesn't sit right with me but i also see the technology coming through um, and the sensor the new sensors that are available in the market and we're not going to be able to ignore that technology with more and more disease pressure and pests and the general decline in acceptance of agrochemicals on our food we're going to have to rely on intelligent machines to um, to control disease and to look after our crops than we are putting chemicals on them. The chemical debate is a whole nother one as to whether it's good or bad, but the public perception of chemicals is just bad, and that's the problem. So basically, technology, whether we like it or not, is the future. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, 100%. George was followed at the conference by Robert Shepherd, chairman of the Allenford Farmers Cluster and the Environmental Farmers Group. He spoke about the farming revolution. 
not really a revolution at all. No, I think we've got to get things into perspective and, and realise that we've had countless revolutions in farming over the last 300 years, and this is no different, but it's important that we identify where we are and where we're going to go in future, and that probably means adopting different methods of farming, different methods of growing food, perhaps growing different foods, and also finding different ways in which to use our natural capital, which is our land, because remember we manage or own 70% of the land mass of the UK, so let's you know use that to our advantage, not necessarily produce food on it, but do more things for the environment. And also, I suppose, to try and monetize those things. So all the altruistic work that we've been doing over the last 10 or 20 years, we now need to convert that into money for the farmers and really turbo boost our environmental credentials and reward farmers for it. Because the environmental side of things, of course, is always in the news and in the media and why aren't farmers doing more for the environment and so on. But we do still need to produce food. We do need to produce food, but, but a lot of food can be imported. The reason we need to produce a lot of food is because we choose to eat a particular diet. So that perhaps that needs examining the way that we eat and what we eat and how much more we could be self-sufficient if we ate what we produced in this country. So yes, of course we need to produce food, but I see that proper uh, high-tech, high-production food and care for the environment and improving our environmental credentials. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. In 30 seconds, what's your takeaway message that you'd like the delegates to take away from today? Well, my takeaway message is don't panic because we're not in an unprecedented position. Let's look and examine what we've got, uh, what capital we've got in terms of natural capital and our assets, and let's make a plan as an industry as to how we move forward. Rob and George very much singing from the same hymn sheet. There's more from the conference in a few minutes and these chats in full on the podcast, online and smart speaker version of the farming programme. For a couple of weeks from Monday 27th of February, many playgrounds in Lincolnshire will be full, not just with children, but tractors. Tractors into Schools is back, a great initiative that helps kids understand where their food comes from. Organiser Josie Jameson from the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. What's involved? Well, it can be all sorts of things. I mean, it's in conjunction with the teacher at the school. They may be using farming as part of their curriculum or they may be just wanting to offer the children an experience. So it depends on the school, but it can be anything from just a hop onto the tractor and have a look around it and see all the, uh, the size of the wheels, that kind of thing. Or it can be an in-depth lesson and it can be a little group or it could be the whole school. It really does depend on what the school is wanting to get out of it and what the farmer is wanting to offer, really. Can farmers still get involved? Oh, absolutely. We are still receiving interest from farmers locally. And what they can do, if they have a school already in mind, they can put me in touch with that school and I can connect them that way. Or if they know the area that they would like to cover, I can get them in touch with a school from there. So there's a couple of ways we can do it. Sometimes farmers already have a relationship with the community and the school and we're happy to kind of progress that as long as the school's not already receiving a tractor, obviously. But there's plenty of ways we can go around it and we're happy to hear from any local farmers that would like to get involved, really. In fact, we've had a farmer recently um, and he's only a youngster. He's year 11 and they've contacted us and he's just literally got his licence and he's wanting to share his new found licence with the, his own school, which has a nice circular feel. So with with the uh, 
the help of the teacher, he's going to be holding a whole school day event um, for the school, which has a nice, nice feel. He's putting back what he's learnt through to the school. OK, and how do they get in touch with you? You can find the details on the Lincolnshire Showground website or they can just call the Lincolnshire Showground office and I, they can be put in touch with me through there. And I'm really looking forward to visiting some of the schools and meeting the children, teachers and farmers involved. It's a good opportunity too to learn about the many jobs in agriculture aside from being a farmer. You could be an agronomist, like Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, it's a great initiative, isn't it? And I think important to get in front of young people, but just as important to get in front of the teachers and the educators to get them to understand, to get them to appreciate, get them invested and interested in where food comes from, how it's produced, why we produce it that way. All of the different farming systems, the pros and the cons of all of them, warts and all, nothing to hide, because without farming there is no food. So there is little of more importance for the future of children, I think, than getting them to know and understand literally where their next meal is going to come from. And I think it's also such a massive opportunity to talk about all the different jobs there are in farming, as has been said, and to illustrate why farming is so crucial, not just for their food production, of course, but also for the protection of the environment and of wildlife and watercourses and everything else. And of course, why food grown here in the UK is some of the best food in the world. So, funny old week of weather then, moving on to agronomy. Frost, sharp frost early in midweek for me. Pea soup, fog on Tuesday morning. I drove out to Boston Tuesday morning and that fog was so thick. I got to Stickford, jumped out of my car and I couldn't see my feet. Well, not quite that thick, but you know what I mean. It was as thick as fog gets. And then the number of people who assume their automatic headlamps are going to come on in foggy conditions. Absolutely incredible. Pea soup fog and the sheer numbers of people driving without the lights on. So next time you go out in the fog, put your lights on and be extra vigilant of those idiots who can't work out that they may need to too. And then we come to Wednesday after all that fog on Tuesday, nine hours, crystal clear, unbroken blue skies. Wonderful. Now we're starting to see temperatures venture into the low teens during the day now. And with a couple of nights this week without frost, we're starting to see the soil temperatures lift. 6.2 degrees Celsius on the heath at three inch depth on Friday morning at half past 10. Spring barley that was drilled three weeks ago, nicely chitted up on the heath now. And things clearly thinking about starting to move. Then we got on Thursday, the first real drop of rain that we've had since about the first week of January. Not the deluge that the Daily Mail was forecasting, thankfully, but just a few millimetres to wet things down again. Now, it's been a dry old do so far. I'm not trying to tempt fate. I'm just saying it may even itself up at some point. So nitrogen or nitrogen sulfur fertiliser that's been applied on wheat and oilseed rakes so far, that's now been gently washed into those seed beds. That few mil of rain will have done an awful lot of good. Now, there'll be plenty of people moaning about how it stopped them drilling. But to be quite honest, it's better that we get any rain now than it is in mid-March or early April, as we've seen plenty of times before from a drilling point of view. After all, it is still only mid-February. We shouldn't lose sight of that fact. Plenty cold enough still, of course, to be drilling peas and spring oats. But with 5 degree nights and 12 to 14 degree day temperatures, spring barley, spring wheat, spring bean drilling, all well underway and rightly so if it'll go. Remember, those heavy, cloddy, sticky seed beds are not a good idea if you put in spring beans or spring barley in. You can't maul those crops in and expect them to perform well. Plenty of time yet to get these crops in well. Too early to panic yet. Obviously, it's always going to be better. 
to get seed in the ground so that it goes into a warm seed bed. It's in and up and away in a quick stick rather than sat there in cold, wet, even cooling soils and doing absolutely nothing for weeks. But because farming and spring drilling is all about timing, an awful lot of luck as well anyway, and because you'll never get it right every time, your workloads need managing, inevitably are there going to be fields which have been put in in less than ideal conditions. The trouble is we don't know which fields they were until after we went and did it. So basically, if the conditions are right and the seedbed's right, then crack on if you can. And if it's good enough to drill a course, it's good enough to spray. So if you do have pre-em tickets outstanding, try and get those on within two or three days of the drill coming out of the field for the best result. If you can leave the black grassiest fields for a couple of weeks yet as well just to get that first spring blackgrass flush out of the way with glyphosate then that's going to be the best scenario for both you and your agronomist but just attention to detail really depth of drilling quality of seed bed cover that seed up fine firm seed beds if you can you know the drill oh pardon the pun all seed rate them seeing new growth starting to appear now most if not all of the nitrogen and sulfur has been applied to the all seed rate crop that first nitrogen dose plus the sulfate 75 kilos per hectare of sulfate required as a usage figure by all seed rate so a lot of ammonium sulfate double top type materials have been going on in the last 10 days cereals pulses etc of course all have a requirement for sulfur as well 40 kilos or so of sulfate mostly but do bear in mind that all plants will produce an enzyme which is called malate if they're slightly short of sulfate and malate will mimic the effects of sulfate within the plant so a minor deficiency in those situations the plant will happily solve its own problem but because oilseed rape needs the bulk of that sulfate to be available at the onset of stem extension and because it takes around five weeks for that to get from the soil via the roots into the plant itself and because stem extension usually starts late March early April depending upon the weather conditions and the temperatures etc then now would appear to be the right time to get that on light leaf spot in oilseed rape by the way you can find that quite easily now and as things warm up that's going to need some protection even if you've already had a fungicide on because that will have already run out you only get three weeks protection from fungicides against light leaf spot so you need to make sure you stop it spreading across the canopy and still the effects of the hard run of frost that we've seen cabbage stem flea beetle larvae as well are showing up and getting worse in some of these fields so do make sure you know where your bigger issues are and don't waste money on nitrogen fertilizer on the expensive product like that on a crop that may not make it also be aware of following crop restrictions if you do have to pull up any oilseed rape particularly where it's been treated with propizomide or propizomide and aminopyrrolate. So I think there's a 30-week interval before you can drill a cereal crop, for example, after propizomide. So read the label, speak to your advisor and know what you're dealing with. Difficult times as well with sugar beets still, particularly in that badly hit area around Horncastle, in particular with some loads being rejected after they've been said by the fieldsmen that they'll be okay to take them in. So you've got to spare a thought for the hauliers who are having a torrid time with sugar beet at the moment so drilling is a go-go a mixed bag of seedbed conditions some of the best that i've seen ranging from that down to some fields that i can't believe have actually been drilled but then that's farming isn't it every day is a school day there's no such thing as a normal year and what's goose for the source is gander for the other so onwards then let's see what the next seven days bring and let's just hope that this nice bit of weather isn't the calm before the storm thanks sean the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook industrial estate grantham Supplying the region for over 40 years. 
More snippets now from the recent Lincolnshire Farming Conference with the theme Healthy Soil, Healthy Minds and seventh generation Lincolnshire farmer Paul Davy, who insists we should treat the soil as an investment rather than dirt. You've gone through a transformation in your farm. What inspired you and how did you actually go about that transformation? I think we were quite lucky to come from a background where we'd always had livestock in our farming system, uh, in our arable cropping, although we'd also been involved quite heavily in potatoes and onions, moving a lot of soil about. And if I go back to uh, some of the chemical treatments we were using for, uh, for potato uh, cyst nematode management, we were finding that there was a deterioration in what you'd call the heart of your soil at at that point, which were probably um, some red flags being raised up that we maybe just slightly overlooked at the time. But by the mid-90s, we were were seeing sort of our yields plateauing and needed to look into different systems. Some of those were variable rate uh, fertiliser, variable rate seed, very conventional technologies now but we didn't quite find what the the missing problem was and it wasn't until we started to look more deeply into uh, soil organic matter we realized how we literally through intensive cultivations just just burned it out and you said there were some uncomfortable truths to be swallowed at the moment yeah i think the most uncomfortable truth is that you did the damage yourself I think that's the most profound one, and um, you maybe sit and have to sit and scratch your head and wonder how you're going to be able to go forwards when you've gone backwards such a long way. The other uncomfortable truths sit within the modern farming practices, and we, we, we really need to be able to manage uh, our deck of emissions as an industry in a, to enable us to go forwards and actually take the mantle of being part of the climate change solution rather than being scapegoated for it. Yeah, because you want to move from scapegoats to champions, as you said. How do we go from where we were to where we need to be on a practical level? On a practical level, soil likes something growing in it all the time. That's a very simple uh, win. Running about with uh, slightly smaller machinery, less compaction. It's making your soil work hard in the way that it likes to work hard but not working it hard in the way that we have worked it hard. So I think there's some very quick, simple and easy wins before we get into the complexity of reducing inputs a little bit further down the line and trying to balance off what cover crops you want ahead of um, what crops you may be growing. But of course it does depend to a large extent on what your soil type is, where you are, etc. One solution doesn't fit all, does it? No, that's right, but it's quite interesting when you get into the realms of maybe uh, clay soils, which are always carrying a higher level of organic matter, but they tend to be overloaded with the likes of magnesium or potassium, and you've got to balance that off. But generally, by increasing organic matter, you're increasing the volume of the soil. By increasing the volume of the soil, you increase what's called cation exchange capacity, which means the nutrients move between the soil and the plant more easily, and that is ultimately the main theory behind uh, why people are putting cover crops down keeping something growing in the soil all the time and making sure that your nutrients aren't leaching away as well treat your soil as an investment rather than dirt i think that's uh, someone someone much cleverer than i said that and they were very profound (laughs) paul thank you thanks steve That's Paul Davey, awarded Arable Innovator of the Year at the British Farming Awards 2021. And finally, farmer and podcaster Will Evans spoke on the healthy minds aspect of the conference theme and with last week being Mind Your Head Week. I have had a few issues with that over the years and um, 
uh, that perception, I suppose, of you do these things, a podcast, and you get this sort of bit of a profile, and everyone thinks, oh, you're high flying, you're doing really well, and we're really inside. A lot of us uh, in that position probably aren't, and I think it's a brilliant uh, title for the conference. And I suppose my message to that is, I will try and make people laugh. By the way, even though I'm going to be talking about depression, I don't want to drag everyone down. But um, my message, I guess, is that it's all that is fine. If you the, the the mental health is no different to physical health, and if you have a problem like I did, get help, and, and it's fine. I think um, we've taken giant strides forward in terms of mental health in the farming community. People are talking about it more. I think it's really important because there's always, always, and when I did the podcast, whenever we talked about mental health, and I had some guests who were brilliant about it, really opened up their problems. Always afterwards, we had emails or messages from somebody who it had helped because they realised that they weren't the only one and then they were going to seek help on the back of it and I think of all the stuff I did with podcasts that's the thing that's the most the most cool about it I think but it can be a very lonely existence farming can't it absolutely uh, very isolating and I think I think even um, the last few years with Covid as I led today I mean I live in in the Welsh borders and there are a lot of older farmers in that part of the world especially up in the hills in the, in the uplands sheep farmers the only time they go off their farm is to go to market that's it they're the only people they see so during covid when it was obviously a, a drop and go thing at the livestock markets you didn't see anyone you didn't talk to anyone i think it massively exasperated that problem of rural isolation i actually do think it's important to come to things like this because it does just have in those conversations you suddenly when you're on your own a lot and everything you lose a bit of perspective and everything magnifies you think you're the only one struggling with these things you come to these conferences or meetings or events or even just going to market as i said and you talk to people and you realize actually you're not the only one and it's we've all got these problems and if you can talk about it and share it i think that's a, a big big step forward we can all take all right we'll have a good conference thank you thank you very much i'm really really glad to be here And it was a very good conference. Thanks to all the speakers and those interviews are available in full on the podcast and online version of the programme. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Laos. Good morning to auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Laos, starting with the prime cattle and a record-breaking week with top prices achieved for clean cattle with heifers to 293 pence per kilo or £1,667 for JS Brooks of Strubby. Steers sell to 270 pence per kilo or £1,796 for GS Paul of Burley Marsh, while prime bulls sell to 261 pence per kilo or £1,590 for CA Mottram. Onto the cool cows and another tremendous trade saw a top for R. E. Needham and Son of Gately Wold at 198 pence per kilo or £1,678. Moving on to the sheep, more hogs than expected and a slight lifting trade sees an SQQ of 232.28 pence per kilo with an all in average of 227.03 pence per kilo, showing just how dear those heavy weighted hogs are. To top for R. L. Hartley at £135 per head, or Fennick Brothers at 260 pence per kilo. On to the cool use, an increased show and a similar trade season all in average of £95.14 to top for Opby House Farming Company at £160, and it must be said the U averages this week even include swales. Finally, just a handful of store hogs on offer, being pulled from the fat, either not carrying quite enough flesh or weight to top for M.A. Smith at £80 per head to all in average £64.80. 
Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Tomorrow, we're back on and it's store cattle week with entries required for all sections of cattle and all sections of sheep. So for all entries or to discuss the marketing of stock, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with a look at the grain markets, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. With just under a month remaining of the corridor agreement, market chatter is centred around whether it will be extended or not. Russia said that promises made to them have not been kept and they saw no reason to continue with the agreement. Nevertheless, Russia continues to export large volumes of wheat on a monthly basis, which would imply that their export flows are largely unhindered and that it is financial sanctions which they want to remove, which is unlikely to happen. In the meantime, Russia continues the slow walk vessel inspections in the Bosphorus with over 100 vessels backed up with an average waiting time of one month. The delays in the corridor are likely to, to have benefited the UK export market, where a slew of business has been written in recent weeks. Turkey's president, Ergodon, who has played a key role in the corridor's negotiations, will understandably be focused on the rescue operations at home following the tragic earthquakes. Recent price strength was stopped in its tracks on Thursday upon the release of the US data sales that came in above expectations. This resurrected ideas that the US Federal Reserve would need to increase interest rates further and for longer to combat inflation, strengthening the US dollar and providing headwinds for the commodity markets. Moving on to barley this week, global malting barley prices have fallen consistently since the peak in May 2022 caused by the war. We are now back at pre-war values last seen in January 2022. That said, even these prices are higher than the average preceding five years. Were it not for the continuing uncertainty about the war, UK malting barley growers would be selling forward at current crop prices, which are more or less the same as old crop values now. The world planted area is expected to be down from last year. The global 23-24 crop could be 147 million tonnes, down from 152 million tonnes last year. However, reduced demand suggests that year-ending stocks will not change much. Of course, 23 crop cycle is still at its very early stage, so despite this current very comfortable position, the world still needs a good 23 barley crop to keep ahead of the demand. Looking at all seed rape this week, the domestic market has followed weakness in Matif rapeseed, which has fallen with Chicago soybeans on the outlook of ample global oilseed supplies. The expanding Brazilian harvest has pressured soybeans as harvest progressed to 17% complete. The Brazilian consultancy slightly lowered its estimate for the country's soybean harvest, explaining how drought had curbed yields in southern state of Rio Grande do Sul. However, they still predict a record 103 million tonne crop. Looking at prices this week then, feed wheat for March 225 to 230, May 228 to 233, August off the combine 220 to 227 and November 225 to 232. Milling wheat premiums are currently 60 to 65 pounds. Feed barley for April 200 to 206, not much movement through to May at 201 to 207, August off the combine 195 to 201 and November 202 to 211. For malting barley premiums, please speak to your local farm business manager. Oil seed rate for March 445 to 455, May 450 to 460, August off the combine 447 to 457 and November 452 to 462. Thanks as ever, kids. The Farming Programme. 
five-day forecast. Just some light rain with breezy westerlies under cloudy skies today. Highs of 11. A mostly dry Monday, dry and sunny. Wind from the southwest in the mid-teens, highs of 14 Celsius. Similar on Tuesday, but from late on we'll have some rain for the rest of the week. Cooler on Wednesday and the westerly wind picks up. Highs of 7. Then a chilly end to the week down to 1 or 2 overnight with a brisk northerly wind, more rain and highs of 5. Next week, some new kit and new ideas from the recent Low Carbon Ag Show. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.